Well, welcome everyone. Um, this morning I am going to talk about um, the third uh, factor in the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the fourth noble truth, very basic foundational teaching of the Buddha. And um, the Eightfold Path is divided into three sections. So we're studying um, sila, uh, ethical behavior this month, one of the three pillars. So I'm talking today about um, wise livelihood and uh, wise action. And before I start the um, talk, I'm going to read a poem. When uh, we look at our ethical behavior, um, it's good to be ethical ourselves and be kind to ourselves, maybe have some, some humor. And I think this uh, poem is a good example of uh, being kind and having some humor about your ethical behavior. It's called, uh, Because Even the Word Obstacle is an Obstacle. And it's by Allison Luterman. And I have I typed up the resource where I got it. So at the end, you can, if you are interested in the poem, you can have that information. So this is how it goes. Try to love everything that gets in your way. The Chinese woman in flowered bathing cap, the Chinese women in flowered bathing caps murmuring together in Mandarin, doing leg exercises in your lane while you execute 36 furious laps. One for every item on your to-do list. The heavy-bellied man who goes thrashing through the water like a horse with a harpoon stuck in its side, whose breathless tsunamis rock you from your course. Teachers all, I learn to be small and swim through obstacles like a minnow without a grudge or memory. Dart toward your goal, sperm to egg, thinking obstacle is another obstacle. Try to love the teenage girl lounging idly against the ladder, showing off her new tattoo. Cette vie est la mienne. This life is mine, in thick blue-black letters on her ivory instep. Be glad, be glad uh, she'll have that to look at all her life. And keep going, keep going. Swim by an uncle in the lane next to yours, who is teaching his nephew how to hold his breath underwater, even though kids aren't allowed at this hour. Someday, years from now, this boy who is kicking and flailing in the exact place you want to touch and turn will be a young man at a wedding on a boat, raising his champagne glass in a toast. When a huge wave hits, washing everyone overboard, he'll come up coughing and spitting like he is now, and he'll come up like a cork, alive. So your moment of impatience must bow in service to a larger story, because if something is in your way, it is going your way, the way of all beings, towards darkness, towards light.
the obstacle. Yeah, what was that title again? The obstacle is the obstacle. So I guess we can apply that sometimes to our um, ethical behavior. So uh, we're continuing this morning, as I said, with our exploration of the three pillars of Buddhism. And this month, our focus is the pillar of sila, or ethical behavior. Two weeks ago, Suze reflected on the value of training with the five precepts in which we vow to undertake the training as best we are able to refrain from faults and unskillful speech, taking life, taking that which is not freely offered, sexual misconduct, and intoxication that leads to heedlessness. This week, we're going to look at wise action and wise livelihood in the overarching context of the Eightfold Path. The five precepts actually are important examples of wise action. But we are going to zoom out for a minute to look at how wise action, including the five precepts, wise livelihood, and ethics in general, are integrated into the Eightfold Path. This will help us understand how we can practice with them. Remembering that the Eightfold Path is the fourth noble truth, which is the path leading to awakening and the end of suffering. The Eightfold Path involves three areas of training. Wisdom, which includes cultivation of wise view and wise intention. Ethics, which includes cultivation of wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood and training and concentration, which includes cultivation of right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. It's a threefold training in which the three practices support each other. Last week in her discussion, or not last week, two weeks ago, in her discussion of the precepts, Sue spent quite a bit of time on wise speech. So although wise speech is included in the Eightfold Path as an area of focus, I'm not going to go into wise speech today. Instead, I will focus on the other two aspects of the ethical path, wise action and wise livelihood. When we look at our actions in general and in relation to our livelihood, we are asked to make sure they align with the first two factors of the path. And those two factors are wise view and wise intention. Sila is not just a set of rules. Seal is a poly term for ethical um, actions. And it's not just a set of rules to follow one by one, word by word. Sila is an opportunity to develop wisdom by paying attention to and investigating our behavior in light of the Dhamma. We ask ourselves, is my behavior aligned with what is true about the nature of reality? And is my, are my intentions pure? We learn how wisdom and intention support our ethical practice. Uh, Philip Moffat, who is a Dharma teacher, um, he was one of the founders of Spirit Rock or guiding teachers of Spirit Rock in California. He wrote a book called Dancing with Life. And in that book, he um, shares ways to practice with the Eightfold Path. Um, 
and actually the Four Noble Truths. And he says in that book, each of the three path factors defines one aspect of behavioral development needed for you to move from suffering to joy. Its eight factors function as an integrated system or matrix that supports and informs all parts of your life. By cultivating the Buddha means attending to, nourishing, and manifesting each of these factors of wisdom in your life. So um, we're going to practice nourishing our wise actions, nourishing our speech, nourishing our livelihood, and um, um, manifesting each of these in our life in wisdom. So making sure that they are wise. Wise view includes an acknowledgement of the Four Noble Truths. So wise view is the first um, step on the Eightfold Path. And it the wisdom comes from understanding the Four Noble Truths. And that eventually leads to a deep understanding of these truths. And of course, the truths are there is suffering, there is a cause of suffering, clinging, is the cause of suffering. And there is a cessation of suffering, and there's a path leading to the cessation of suffering. So those basic truths are something to consider as we um, train to have wiser speech, wiser actions, wiser livelihood, and to be um, have ethical behavior. We Those are our anchors. Um, we develop understanding by seeing for ourselves. That's another part <clears throat> of developing <clears throat> wise speech, wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood, and and being an ethical, um, having ethical behavior. Um, we have to see for ourselves. We have to test it out. Our actions. It's not just following rules. Um, we acknowledge the law of karma, that our actions are the ground on which we stand. Wholesome actions <clears throat> ultimately lead to wholesome results, and unwholesome actions eventually lead to unwholesome results. Wise view includes the understanding also of the three characteristics of all phenomena, that there is impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and there is no self, not self. These truths help us make ethical choices in our behavior. So we've, we've studied um, these teachings before, and we continue to use them as we uh, develop our ethical behavior. We also examine our intentions when we develop our sense of um, what is right action and right livelihood. The Buddha identified three kinds of wise action, and those are intention, the intention of renunciation, the intention of goodwill, and the intention of harmlessness. 
Renunciation is the intention to turn away from our desires and attachments and habitual actions. Our tendency and behavior is to go on in the direction of what is familiar, comfortable, easy, kind of a default mode. Often in order to cultivate more skillful behavior, we have to move into unfamiliar territory. We may have to challenge societal norms. We might feel awkward when we do this or clumsy at first. We might have the feeling this isn't right, it doesn't feel good, or I'm not good at this. And some examples that I think of from my own life is that something that has really helped me um, be wiser in my actions, I believe, is to have an attitude of good enough, which for someone else might be exactly the wrong thing to do. But for me, I have a tendency to never think I've done enough. And then I get very stressed and then I get very irritable. So people around me suffer from my feeling and actions that are based on um, not enough. Do it faster, do it better, do more. So I had to f- figure that out myself. I mean, there was it's not part of the five precepts, but I know from my own investigation that that's really important for me. And so all of us will have, from our own seeing for ourselves, we'll come up with different uh, pieces of wisdom, which if you really look at it, you can uh, uh, connect it to the Four Noble Truths. Um, another example would be with Donna. When I first started um, uh, understanding the term Donna, when I uh, started at Seattle Insight Meditation, um, I had to, I just wanted to have somebody give me the rule. You know, you give this much a month and that's it. But I had to have, according to our teacher, Rodney Smith, I had to have a relationship with Donna. I had to think about what was the right amount, what was going to cause me suffering, what would cause someone, you know, would not be beneficial to the other person. So I'd really had to work on this Donna and it didn't feel comfortable. So that's kind of what happens with um, uh, when we change our behavior to something and get rid of our habits or really have to think about what we're doing. Um, another one would be, um, listening and speaking up. So it, my default mode is just to listen often. You know, I, I just like to be quiet and let other people do the talking, but, um, speaking up is something I've tried to develop and it doesn't feel comfortable all the time. Whereas for someone else, it might be the opposite. Um, And the other thing, just another example is um, like intoxicants. And in these days, uh, frequently at retreats, they'll talk about giving up your phone. And that's kind of considered an intoxicant. We are addicted to some of our, our media. And so when I'm at an at home retreat, and I can't, I'm not supposed to open a book or, you know, I'm supposed to turn my cell phone off. 
And um, it's very uncomfortable. You know, this isn't the way I live day to day. And I feel that pull of just wanting to do what I always do. And I want to have the pleasure of being able to be distracted. I don't want to be there right in the middle of all that silence. It's not comfortable. It's not, I'm not good at it. So these are just um, some examples, I think, of when I think of developing um, right action. Um, so then uh, the intention of renunciation supports generous actions as we learn the difference between our needs and our wants. And it leads us to uh, discover the contentment of having enough. The Buddha said that contentment is our great wealth. And the intention, uh, the third intention of goodwill is acting in a way that leads, oh no, that's the second one, sorry. Goodwill is acting in a way that leads ultimately to the good of all living beings. So that is a intention that the Buddha um, says leads to wholesome um, actions. This intention is cultivated with the Brahma-Vihara practices, which many of you are doing, using phrases like, may all beings be happy and free from suffering. The third intention that leads to wholesome actions is uh, the intention of harmlessness, which leads to freedom from suffering for all living beings. And these intentions of renunciation, goodwill, and Harmlessness take the place gradually of the three poisonous motivations of greed, hatred, and delusion. So that's just a, a place to start when you're thinking about your ethical behavior in the context of the, for the Eightfold Path, that think about the wisdom and the way you're viewing uh, the situation and also think about your intentions. So, wise action is uh, one of the three factors in ethical behavior on the Eightfold Path. And the purpose of training in uh, ethical behavior, or sila, is to live in harmony. This is uh, according to the Buddha, to live in harmony with oneself, with family, and with a larger community. And that larger inclu community includes all sentient beings and, of course, our planet Earth. Back at the beginning of October in my talk, when I was introducing the three pillars, I said it's important to remember that sila in our Buddhist practice is pragmatic and the focus is on the natural law of actions and consequences, not on judgment, guilt, or punishment. We are guided to reflect on our actions and their results, not to identify with them. I'm saying this again because the pain of guilt can distort our perception of our behavior and keep us from looking at our actions with equanimity and honesty. And um, I just I was reading a book about the Thai master Ajahn Chah, who was the first Thai teacher to, or the major Thai teacher of some of our teachers here in the West, Ajahn Sumedho, Ajahn Suchito, for example, and many others. And when he started uh, 
seeing these uh, Westerners come to his monastery in the 1970s, he had this comment. He said, these Westerners have a problem with a baffling kind of self-aversion called guilt. With wise action and with wise livelihood as well, we are cultivating personal responsibility and integrity, but not guilt. A lot of reflection and investigation is required um, to develop our ethical behavior. As the Buddha taught his son Rahula in the Sutta instructions uh, to Rahula at the Mango Stone, he said, the Buddha said, bodily actions, verbal actions, and mental actions are to be done with repeated reflection. You can see the, the ahipasiko or see for yourself process playing out here. The Buddha continues, Ask yourself, does the action lead to self-affliction, to the affliction of others, or to both? If so, then you should confess it, reveal it to a teacher or a knowledgeable companion in the holy life. And exercise then exercise restraint in the future. So you can see that the Buddha is not talking about punishment. He's just talking about changing behavior. If, on the other hand, you know that it did not lead to affliction and was skillful, then you should be refreshed and joyful, training day and night in skillful qualities. He also wants us to look not just at our, our what we consider our negative behavior. He wants us to look at our positive behavior, too. The same process is outlined in the Kalama or Kalama Sutta by the Buddha when he's speaking to the confused Kalama people who are doubtful about which teachings to follow. And the Buddha says, do not go by oral traditions, by lineage of teaching, by hearsay, by a collection of scriptures. But when you know for yourselves these things, if accepted and undertaken, lead to harm and suffering, then you should abandon them. And if you know these things lead to welfare and happiness, then you should live in accordance with them. So it's very practical. Philip Moffat has some questions he has found helpful for reflecting on actions. And he says that he um, thinks, based on my understanding of wise view and wise intention, is this appropriate, needed, doable at this time? Is this within my limitations? Will it cause harm? And have I acknowledged that I can't control the outcome? So there are just some more practical uh, ways of approaching our behavior. We Westerners with our baffling self-aversion also need to remember as we train in Sila that our mind has a negative bias, which tends to have us noticing the unskillful more than we notice the skillful. In the suttas I have just referred to, the Buddha's instruction includes reflecting on both the positive and the negative consequences of actions. And he says succinctly, as far as ethics go, avoid what is unskillful, do what is good, purify the mind. So just as the five precepts can guide us in the area of actions we want to avoid, the ten paramis can guide us in actions that are good, that we want to cultivate. And these are the qualities that are said to be associated with enlightened beings. We can remember... Um, uh, these paramis, and they are um, 
generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, loving kindness, and equanimity. I haven't talked about wise concentration, the third factor of the Eightfold Path, but these perfections contribute to and are rewarded, revealed to us as we cultivate wise mindfulness and wise concentration, which is the third factor in the Eightfold Path. As the Buddha says, the mind is luminous, radiant, but it is obscured by visiting defilements. Some of us might have an inner critic that's quick to point out in our inner speech when we are less than perfect. But someone I read recently was talking about the inner teacher. That seems to me a better way to frame our attitude towards our behavior. It reminds me of the forgiveness phrases I use sometimes for myself when I have caused harm or when someone else has harmed me. It seems to me that looking at myself as a learner is a wise action when the parmi of loving, with the parmi of loving kindness. The forgiveness phrases that I use are, I am a learner still learning life's lessons. I forgive myself for making mistakes and not being perfect. And if someone has harmed me, you are a learner still learning life's lessons. I forgive you for making mistakes and not being perfect. So now we come to wise livelihood. Just as there have been efforts to look at the precepts in a modern context, there has been an effort to expand the scope of the third sila factor, wise livelihood, beyond the one presented in the Buddha's time, 2,600 years ago. The primary intent of wise livelihood was and is that one's occupation not harm oneself or others. In the Buddhist time, specific occupations were to be avoided. Dealing in weapons, slavery, prostitution, meat production, butchery, and dealing in poisons or intoxicants, as well as any occupation that involved deceit or was illegal. Today, wise livelihood livelihood brings up some complex issues. When Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, community came up with a modern version of the five precepts. They included some of the modern dilemmas relating to livelihood, which they, inc- uh, and this, these were included in their second precept. And that precept was called true happiness. So their precept goes like this. True happiness, aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing and oppression, I am committed to practicing generosity in my thinking, speaking, and acting. I'm determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others, and I will shame my, share my time and energy and material resources with those in need. I will practice looking deeply to see that the happiness and suffering of others are not separate from my own happiness and suffering, that true happiness is not possible without understanding and compassion, and that running after wealth, fame, power, and sensual pleasures can bring much suffering and despair. I am aware that happiness depends on my mental attitude and not on external conditions, and that I can live happily in the present moment simply by remembering that I already have more than enough conditions to be happy. I'm committed to practicing right livelihood so that I can help reduce the suffering of living beings on earth and stop contributing to climate change. 
So that is quite a bit and pretty hard to remember. But just thinking about the role of happiness in relationship to um, our ethical behavior and our livelihood seems like uh, there's a lot tied up there. Um, And actually, Wise Livelihood and the Teacher's that I was reading was expanded to include like uh, one's um, lifestyle and things like how one related to activities of recreation, consumption, transportation, communication, financial investments, hobbies. Gregory Kramer says, we could, however, start with the four requirements of the monastics and just ask ourselves, what is my relationship to food, housing, clothing, and health? Those are necessities, and they have to do with why we have a livelihood. Mark Nunberg from Common Ground um, Meditation Center in Wisconsin suggests that we look at our relationship to responsibility and ask ourselves, what is my responsibility to myself, my family, my community, and my larger community? He emphasizes the complexity of our lives and the need to balance responsibilities and happiness. I'll just close with a couple of responses from people who uh, are, or did recently um, look at livelihood and in the dedicated practitioner program at Spirit Rock. And these are some of the questions and comments they came up with. One person asked, what about working in a broken system like healthcare? I'm putting my energy into a system that is defective. Another said, I'm doing a service. It's good work, but my work is stressful. I feel like I can't do this anymore, but I'm two years from retirement. Another said, I owned a small company and sold to companies that sold weapons. Giving up that business was a deep, profound experience for me. Now I do solar energy, but it's not a panacea. So taking a vow to follow the precepts to the best of our ability helps us pay attention to common actions in our daily lives that are critical for maintaining inner harmony and outer harmony. Harmony. The further guidance offered by the wisdom factors and sila factors in the Eightfold Path help us learn how to investigate for ourselves what we can do to contribute to a more blameless life for ourselves and for the world. So that is the big picture. And um, I think... It might be good to think back to the poem about the woman who saw the things that were getting in her in her way, the people who were getting her in her way, and uh, which is a pretty self-centered, you know, it's kind of our sense self-centered way place we come from, and then we expand out to. Uh, realize that we're all humanity and we're connected with a much bigger much bigger community and that has to do with our ethical behavior so 
it's time to break out into breakout groups. And I have two questions um, that you can think of uh, during the, your discussion in your breakout group. One has to do with wise action. How do you use wise intentions, either of renunciation, goodwill, or harmlessness in your life? Uh, the second one is on wise livelihood. What questions? Because remember, we're investigating for ourselves, and investigation usually has starts with questions. So what questions come up for you to investigate around your livelihood, which could include your relationship to the four basics of food, shelter, clothing, and health, or it could be broader, taking into consideration uh, your lifestyle in general. But it could include hobbies or volunteer work or quite a bigger picture. So just so what questions do you use to investigate or um, how do you use wise intention, goodwill, and har or uh, harmlessness um, when you're thinking about your actions? So... I hope you can stay for the breakout group, and um, I won't put you into breakout groups now. Okay, so back together now, and we have a few minutes if anyone wants to share what... Um, Share out what you shared in the small group or anything else that you um, have been thinking about regarding uh, wise action, wise livelihood, ethical behavior that you've, we've been focusing on this last month, because um, we are going to move on to something else next month. So be nice to hear what you've been, how you've been applying uh, Judith. Okay. Well, this isn't exactly what I talked about, but um, I, our, the rest of the people got me thinking about what you said about not being able to be perfect and feeling guilty. And it seems like when I examine my actions and I examine my livelihood, and I mean, I, I start thinking, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm, and I'm not perfect and, and there's just no way <laughs> that I'm going to be perfect. So uh, I think, you know, what you said about being okay, well, that's enough. Maybe, you know, that's enough. And and um, being a little bit gentler with myself is probably really important. But at the same time, not using that as an excuse to, you know, do something that's really crummy, you know. Anyway, yeah. I think you bring up the the issues. That's why it's so complex because our world is so complex. And um, it's easy to get overwhelmed. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so bringing those three points, you know, what can we do? And obviously, we can't do everything. And what is enough? That's certainly part of uh, why we have a livelihood. 
you know, we need, there are needs. <laughs> so just those kinds of questions. That's why I think it's interesting the way um, a lot of people are, from what I was reading, there's just so many things to consider. And, you know, you've got to be kind to yourself too. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. And somebody said, well, I just can't uh, fulfill everything in the Eightfold Path. Right now, I can't even remember the Eightfold Path. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just working on that. Well, that's why I like the, there's a summary where the Buddha just says, um, do good, uh, abandon what's unwholesome, do good, and purify the mind, I think. You know, just make it more simple. More simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to it, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I took up, I was involved in a 12-step program, and they say, first things first. That's another thing sometimes, just first things first. Suze. There's so many questions that get raised around wise livelihood, and I think they're great to be exploring. We did some of that in our in our group. And one of the things is I told a little bit about my history and um, being involved in certain industries that you think right away they're not um, skillful or wholesome, but um, it's way more complicated. Like I ran a recycling company, which was wonderful, but we also had all these trucks on the road, you know, and that's what, what we did. And we also... Um, fooled people into thinking that we were going to solve some of the waste issues by recycling when really we needed to just stop buying so much stuff <laughs> and then reused what we had. And then my son ran a bar and it was in a beautiful community for people where everyone was welcome, including people who had difficulty with drinking and other folks would help them around it, including being cut off at the bar and they wouldn't they allow them to stay but only drink seltzer water or whatever so it's not it's not so clear cut and i really love that part of exploring wise livelihood thanks for letting me share thank you suze and uh sean and bruce Uh, recently, a teach I heard a teacher say, um, "Being alive is enough." First things first. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's why I kind of liked um, uh, the idea of Gregory Kramer. You know, just start with the very basics if you you know like say in terms of livelihood and that's what's good about the five precepts too because if you look at the basic five precepts you know uh don't lie <laughs> um you know uh don't take what is not offered those are very helpful i think like the longer ones like Thich han's version it's just showing you people who are sitting with it and just focusing like 
we each might want to take one area and just kind of sit with it and say, I'm going to focus on this and then see what comes up. And then um, so it would be more elaborate. There might be more things to think about, but um, we have to make it as um, also Philip Moffat said, doable, you know, has to be doable. So it's for each of us to investigate just gives us something to um, look at, you know. One thing might click for one person and another for another. It's too easy to get overwhelmed. That's part of our problem. World is too community. We have too much communication with everything. We're not a little village. And so we have to consider that too. Philip also starts all of his, the way he wrote the precepts, he starts with, to the best of my ability. And I yes. love that. Yeah, so I do too. Kind of goes, it's doable for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah. So just adding is that. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Well, um, anything else? Okay. So. I wanted, Lauren, I just yes. wanted to say that there's a component of, of forgiveness in that, forgiveness of, of yourself and of others. Yes. Yeah. Forgiveness of, oh, I'm, I, I really can't be perfect. Yeah. yeah. Good enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, I think forgiveness is really important in, really important <laughs> in yeah. our behavior. Yeah. Okay. So um, I thank you, everybody who stayed to discuss and everybody who came today. It was really nice to see you and share the Dhamma with you. And hear your sharing. We'll, we'll close now with uh, sharing of the merit of our practice. May the merit of our practice this morning be shared by all beings so that they may be free, remembering that our work is never for ourselves alone. May you be safe and protected, free from harm, and may all beings be safe and protected, free from harm. Thank you.